This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. Back at it on a Wednesday for you after getting home late from Fort Myers last night where the baseball team challenged number 19 FGCU, had a rally that Fell just a couple runs short and lost 5-3. to three. We'll give you some highlights from that in our second block. Got plenty of weekly honors, as we figured we would with track and field. A lot of them. And a big-time ranking that I failed to mention on yesterday's show that we'll correct here in a second for track and field. Only one on-field, or in this case, on-court event in the next couple of days. It's this afternoon, and I'm planning on making it out to a big match for men's tennis. We'll explain how big it is in our second segment, and you're about to hear some pretty good stuff from Alex Golish, who spoke to the media before press conference number four. I'm actually going to get to practice for the first time in the spring later on this week, but in the meantime, I love what he had to say about, well, you'll hear it in a second, but I did want to start off with track and field. Although we're officially into the outdoor season, and a trio of bulls were honored as far as by the conference for their work there. The indoor track and field performance course boosted majorly by Romaine Beckford winning the national championship in the high jump. The final rankings were put out by the USTF CCCA. That's the U.S. Track and Field and Cross Country Coaches Association. Clearly, they need to work on shortening their little title, but the point is it ranks the best teams in the country, and the Bulls were in the top 25 for the first time in school history. The final rankings had the Bulls actually tied for 23rd with Southern Cal, Princeton, and Kennesaw State. It's a point system. By the way, the top three are all from the SEC. Arkansas, far and away, number one, then Georgia, then Florida. Texas, a school that was just in the outdoor track and field meet held by the Bulls this past weekend, was tied for sixth. But there's good old USF in the final rankings for the first time, or at least the highest ranking of 23 in their school history. More kudos to Eric Jenkins and company. As I said, we've moved on to the outdoor season, and every Tuesday the conference announces its top track and field athletes of the week. Actually, four individuals usually, two for the men, one track, one field, likewise for the women. Well, this time around there were actually four male honorees, and that's because the Bulls got proper representation as the field athlete of the week was split by Stone Baker and Kobe Babin, both USF Bulls who tied for first place in the pole vault with their mark, currently the 13th best mark in the entire country. And oh yeah, the best in the American of 5.1 meters. That is 16 feet, 8 and 3 quarters inches. If you need to know, Stone Baker, of course, has been around the kid from River Ridge for four years now. And Kobe Babin, who we met about a month ago, if you didn't hear that conversation, I would urge you to check it out on our Unlimited Unloaded page. The kid from Destin has a lot of personality and, oh yeah, a lot of talent. On the track athlete of the week, definitely had to give it to a kid from Houston. They're fantastic, but they basically had co-track athletes of the week to include the man who has the fastest time in the NCAA so far in the 200 meters. That's another individual that we got into interview recently, Shavoy Reed. It has been Nice to be able to sit down with a lot of these student athletes and then on the track. They are fantastic. 200 meter dash time of 20 and a half seconds. Again, the fastest in the country. Also, was part of the 4x100 team that put up a third fastest mark in USF history as well. Shavoy Reed, yet another 
junior college transfer originally from Jamaica, doing great things in his first year as a Bull. As I said, Alex Golish spoke. Boy, I tell you what, he's really explaining things pretty well, and we'll get to some actual players on the field. Of course, it's very early in the spring, and mind you, this was before practice for Remember, and he was asked about this, they had their first three practices, then a spring break, and he thought that was a little unusual, maybe not the best way to do things, but the alternative would be to start practice this week and then have four practices a week, and that would have been just too much because there's so much learning going on, so you need that day in between. Well, they apparently are learning everything or relearning what they need to know. Really pleased. I think the intent at which we're practicing just like I thought the intent at which we prepared in the winter was pretty good I wouldn't say to the standard at what you want I think we're going to continuously strain to get to the standard at what we want but the energy and being intentional in what we're trying to do are the two biggest things we're coaching those have been pretty good the standard at which we have to play certainly not anywhere near it my my only ask of our team just like the entirety of our program is just just continue to get better don't make the same mistake twice and continue to get better every single day we're just attacking so many different things in within the walls of our program and when i tell you every we're attacking every single thing we're reteaching what it is to be a college football player at this level we're reteaching what it is to be a student athlete we're reteaching how you wake up how you come in hydration testing every morning to make sure we're hydrated, to showing up to meals on time, the accountability factor of eating, what my locker looks like, how I treat my teammates, how I respond to questions, what we wear when we show up to workouts, what we wear on a football field, how we handle everything on a football field. Like when I tell you teaching every single aspect of our program, we are teaching every aspect of our program. There's no stone left unturned. There's a huge accountability factor. And that doesn't mean that it's rule with an iron fist. That means that we are doing what we are, what we are meant to do, which is teach, hold guys accountable, continue to teach. And I said it from day one, but everything we do within the walls of our program, there's a standard. There's a standard to every single part of our program. That's from our coaches, to our players, to support staff, to academics, to nutrition, to strength, to every single person that touches our players, to sports information, there's a standard. And you're, it's really, really black and white. I think as coaches, when you make it gray, you can really muddy it up. There's a standard. You're at the standard or you're not. And once we reach a certain standard, we'll raise that standard. Uh, right now, we're still in the process of establishing standards. So that's a long-winded answer to your question of, has it been crisp? It's been really energetic. I love the intent with which the guys love to play. To be honest with you, part of why I wanted this job is because in my time at Florida, my time in Florida, down the road, in my time recruiting young people from Florida, these guys love football. And most of our rosters from the state, these guys love ball. I had no question with what it would look like in terms of between the white lines. You win games with partly what you do between the white lines and certainly with how you approach every day. And so I've hammered more, we have hammered more on how you approach every day more so than the actual football. Uh, but I have been pleasantly surprised, to be honest with you, on the football side. Back to Coach Gullish in a second, but on that whole thing, Matthew Hill, who will be entering his sixth year of college ball, started off as a freshman way back in 2018 at Auburn after three seasons there. 
joined the Bulls in 2021. He loves his new position on the field of field safety, by the way. But, yeah, I love what Hill had to say about the whole accountability factor. As soon as he came in, he pretty much laid the standard down. Uh, there's a strike system anytime you miss an academic appointment, uh, training room appointment. You're late to class, you miss class, you get a strike. And then it's a total of five strikes. And then once you get to your fifth strike, you know, it's a meeting with, yeah, with the head coach and then your position coach and then the coordinator. But leading up to the fifth strike, it's punishment within the lines of doing rolls and doing up downs. And each time it's a strike, it doubles each time. So pretty much you want to stay off the strike system so you don't have to do up downs or rolls. And then once you get to like three or four, the coach makes uh, the position position group come out with there to watch the uh, punishment because you're basically letting your, your whole group down if, if they can't like, I don't want to say trust you, but like you're not, you're not really holding each other accountable if you're letting your teammate get all these strikes for just missing class or missing tutors, you know? How many strikes you got? Zero. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. Joey Knight asking me how many strikes question and got to throw that in there. Jaden Curry, another member of the secondary also spoke. We're going to hang on to those comments until tomorrow's show. Back to Coach Golish. Well, those guys are a couple that he mentioned as leaders of the secondary, but overall leadership includes a guy who might have noticed was the quarterback last year until he got hurt, so this is a nice chunk on that part of the team. I said it the first day, and I tell the guys, they, they can attest to this every single day in the team meetings, that the leadership part of our program is monumental for us to ever take a step. For the first three months we were here, in a lot of ways, it's been the coaches leading. And I imagine for the next year, that's how it'll be. When it becomes player-led, that's when the program will flip. All elite programs are driven by player-driven leadership. When that locker room is run by the players and they hold each other to a standard, that's the definition of a winning culture. And we're nowhere near that. But we are taking steps and we're getting better in that every day. Individually, some guys that have stood out. Curry's been one, certainly a leader by example. I think defensively, Rashad Cheney, in a lot of ways, has taken it and has grown so much. You know, he hasn't practiced yet. I think it's hard when you're not practicing, but he's about the most energized and in-tune guy at practice for a guy that's not practicing as, as I've been around. He's played a bunch of college football. He was playing his best football his career when he got hurt a year ago. He is super invested right now, and he's been incredible from a leadership standpoint. On the offensive side, another guy that, that hasn't really been practicing is, is Gary Bohannon has done a phenomenal job, both vocally and, I mean, he takes every rep. He just has not thrown a football yet in terms of stands behind, goes through every rep mentally, physically, just doesn't throw the football. But he literally takes every single rep from behind the line. Byron Brown, I think, has done a really good job leading. Um, again, a young guy that hasn't played a ton. I think as soon as he figured out, like, all right, I fit. I can play here. I can be successful here. He's also earned the right to lead by the way he's prepared. Donovan Jennings has done a good job. He has practiced now more and more as it's gone coming off the ankle, both vocally and, and by example. Uh, but we certainly need more. Uh, that's something that I think as guys get comfortable in their roles, they can then lead. But those are the guys that have kind of stood out to me. Um, and us as coaches, we have tried to empower guys. You got to be careful to who you empower until you really get to know what, what the, the DNA is of, of these guys. Good stuff. And one leader that I left out, as he actually specifically referred to, because I wanted to save it for this cut, 
from the head coach, Alex Golish. There were two particularly thin groups that were kind of highlighted when he first got going. Offensive line, and that's still a work in progress, and wide receiver, it sounds like the latter. A Joe a Joe on the practice field, I think a guy that's really going to be called upon to do a lot, and Yusuf Terry, who has flashed here and there in his time with the Bulls, but sounds like he's doing a lot more than that as we wrap it up with the head coach from his press conference on Tuesday, speaking specifically about that group of the team. Yeah, the wideout group is an interesting one because we've been so up and down injury-wise. Ajo, I still haven't haven't seen him really go. He's going to get back into it this week. So we need him to be a really good player for us. He's a big body. He's played some ball, hasn't played a ton of ball. Man, like physically, if you could draw a player, that's what they look like. He's got to go do it. Now, like, like there's a point where you're, you got to go, right? Like he has to go. Uh, Choffrey Brown is another one coming off of a shoulder. He's going to be able to go do some stuff in a red jersey this week, uh, which will be good to see. He's been running full speed. Now, can you go and actually line up against somebody and go play? Man, like if those two guys can be really good players for us, that would drastically make me feel better. You know, like Yusuf Terry has, you talk about guys that have grown a ton within our program. Like, like there's a guy that hasn't played a ton of college football, was highly recruited, expectations were really high for him, has underachieved in every part of his college career so far through three practices. He's like one of my favorite guys out there. Energy, focus, locked in. Like he could be a dude dude for us. Uh, he's got to continue to grow and continue to put days together. But he's a, a guy that, you know, we talk about drawing a line in the sand and saying, all right, enough's enough. I'm going to be really, really good at my craft. He is one that's really, like, that guy lives up here. That's all he does is sits here, does football, school, and that's it. You get 120 guys like that, you got a shot to go win football games. So uh, three months ago, I wouldn't have said, hey, do like Yusuf is doing. And right now I'm saying do like Yusuf is doing. Uh, so he's been a pleasant surprise. Naeem Simmons, and, and for new guys that have come in here, Naeem, through two days, he was trying to figure out if he could really fit in here. Day three, he just went and played, and I thought he had the best day he's had since he's been here. You know, like Sean Atkins has been really, really steady for us. I, I've been really, really excited about him. He's a guy, you talk, talk about guys coming back that have played. He's one of the very few that has, and he's played like that. He's practiced like that. Seth Jones has been kind of up and down. But he's a guy that when it flashes really, really well, he you could tell he's a real guy. He's still learning the system, and, and he's got to grow. And the next 12 days for him are absolutely monumental. You know, like Javon Thomas from day one to day two to day three has really grown. That's, that's really the key is can you not make the same mistake twice and continue to grow within the system? But we're still really, really light there, you know, where Ajo and Chaffrey being out, you feel like, man, oh, man, like we got a lot of work ahead of us in the transfer portal here. But those two guys coming back, you feel like, all right, we've got some depth. Like it's, it's very up and down. So I'm excited. As those guys get back, I'm excited to see what it looks like here in the next two, three weeks. I'm really excited about the freshmen coming in. I feel like we've got three guys coming in that are prototypical what we want in this offense, guys that can run with length on the outside, and a young guy in the slot that just ran in the 10 fours uh, last week. So you add them all together, and when we get healthy there, I think we can be a really good receiver group. But that's yet to be seen, and, and those guys get challenged every single day. I like how he, and that was a perfect example, is setting expectations, is optimistic about what he's seeing, 
but also making it clear that there's a lot of work to be done. He threw out a couple names, Javon Thomas, kid from Sickles, Seth Jones transferred from Baylor. Yes, Seth Jones was with Gary Bohannon at Baylor, but didn't catch any passes his last year there. So there's the possibility. And, of course, you just heard him mention the freshman, but not by name. So that was probably intentional as well. Yeah, there's a lot more good stuff from that press conference, including how he was able to close on a house during the spring break week. And, again, more from the two players that spoke. We'll sprinkle those comments for you. And I'll actually get to go to practice tomorrow. And we're going to talk to the defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando, as well. A lot more going on. There was baseball last night. We'll have highlights from the broadcast in Fort Myers. And we'll also tell you about a big match today for men's tennis. More honors for women's tennis men's golf as well got back from fort myers a little before midnight last night with baseball we'll tell you with some audio highlights how things went there the bulls are back at it on friday in fact there's only one event taking place in the next couple of days and it's going to be one that i plan on dropping by later on this afternoon it's men's tennis we'll get to them in a minute but more praise for women's tennis, which has worked its way into a five-match winning streak. Being somewhat of a tennis guy, I could just tell that they had a team this year, but you couldn't tell at the beginning because they started off 2-4, and four, some tough opponents in there, including a conference opponent who they are now ranked ahead of. That would be SMU because the Bulls have won seven of their last eight matches. And I mentioned the ITA rankings again because... The NCAA Tournament Committee, there really isn't a committee. Their only job is to pair the teams. They go straight off the rankings as far as putting teams into the field. The only thing that shoots you out of the order is if you are below 500. That's the only standard. And right now, the women's tennis team is above 500 by a bit at 9-5. and five. What happens when you've won 7 of 8, including 5 straight? And they are actually the second highest-ranked team in the conference behind UCF, well behind UCF for that matter, but the Bulls are in the number 60 position. Now, to get into the NCAA as an at-large, you probably have to finish in the mid-40s, and they're going to have to keep on winning. There's plenty of chances left in the season. Not many more chances to see them at home, by the way, though. First one is this Saturday at noon against DePaul. They'll head to Houston for their next three matches after that against Houston. Rice and FIU will be back at home for two of their final three in and around a trip over to Orlando. But the Bulls, Sierra Berry, who has been fluctuating between their number one and number two spot, was the American Athletic Conference Tennis Player of the Week. Won both their matches in doubles and singles as the Bulls propel themselves actually ahead of SMU, just by a couple spots, by the way. They're at 60th in the ITA rankings. The men's team is right around the same spot and moving on up because of their current streak that they're on, and that's what makes today's match so important at the USF courts because if you want to, again, not have to win the conference tournament, and last year on the women's side, even though they pulled off the what was honestly the upset of the year in the Warren I-4, maybe the upset of the year for any sport against any opponent when they beat UCF in the quarterfinals, and then they turn around to show you how difficult it is to win the conference tournament and got shut out by Memphis, a team that went on to the NCAA with the automatic bid. Well, the men's team last year got in as one of the last few teams, and they are right now on the wrong side of the bubble, but they are moving up the ladder on the rankings, and they play a team today that is right ahead of them in the rankings. That would be FAU. It starts at 2.30 at the USF tennis courts. The Bulls, just like the women, ironically rank 60th currently. But there's a big difference. Where's 60 gets you the second seed, actually? Yeah, the NCAA committee doesn't just go by the ITA rankings. The American Athletic Conference does. Temple has the best record 
in the conference, win-loss, but they're the worst computer-ranked team. They might be the bottom seed where the women could be in line for a two-seed, which is just a vast improvement from being the eight last year. Well, the men, good computer ranking, but that has them sixth in the conference. And oh, by the way, there's a couple teams just ahead of them, 56 Tulsa, 57 UCF. So a win today would inch you closer up the charts, and it would be also a very impressive win. FAU has defeated its last four opponents all at home. In fact, they've played their last five at home, losing to UCF to kick off their stand before that, a win against Wichita State, which was ranked at the time, ironically, is the next Bulls opponent. The Shockers have fallen out of the rankings. But as this match goes, you cannot get a better litmus test for the improvement or an example shown for the improvement, potentially, of the men's tennis team than this. Again, they started off 4-8. and eight. They're now 9-9. Nine and nine. Why is this the best example of their improvement? Because they got beat by the team they're playing today. And they got shut out down in Boca Raton. Remember, they played Rice, Cal Santa Barbara, and FAU to begin the season with the incomers from the SEC, Davide Tortora, Eric Avilius, mix in with a couple of freshmen, Elijah Cham, Thomas Pavlikovich-Smith, and really the only two full-time returners, and Bruno Oliveira from last year, which was first year with the Bulls, Alvin Todorica, remember, started off at the number one spot. Things have really shifted since then to the tune of the Bulls with a chance to go above 500 today. After that 4-8 and eight start, we'll talk about it on tomorrow's show. Men's golf ended up tied for 8th out of 16 teams at the Linger Longer Invitational at the Great Waters Golf Course in Georgia. Now, it was going to be tough to move up two spots. They moved up one spot, and that could end up being relevant. There was a 17-hole difference between them and 7th place Arkansas, and there was a 10-gap difference between the Bulls and the team beneath them. So really, the only team they could realistically catch and they did tying for eighth was maybe notable because it was 16th ranked Virginia. And again, the computer rankings strictly pretty much go to deciding if you make the NCAA tournament. The Bulls aren't in that range yet, but a result like this is definitely going to move them up. We'll see how much. But they ended up shooting the same score on their final round of the 54-hole event, as did the number one team in the country, Vanderbilt. That was a four-over par. Actually, the Bulls finished 29 over through the three rounds, saved their best score of four over for the last day. Only two squads finished under par, and Alabama and Georgia Tech rolled away with this thing on the final day with the Crimson Tide going 14 under for the three rounds, eight under on Tuesday. Georgia Tech finished eight shots behind Alabama, and then again, Vanderbilt down at even. Clemson, Georgia, some big schools in this event finished three and four over par to round out the top five. Bulls were tied with Virginia for eighth, and their four over on the final day was led by Jake Peacock's two under 70. He was the lone ball in the top 20, tied for 18th. So after their lone win of the season against, admittedly, a lesser field at the Ross Collegiate Classic, this was a chance for the Bulls maybe with the top five finish to really shoot up in the computer rankings. But as it is, they finish tied for eighth in the middle of a strong field. For what it's worth, this was in Georgia, and they finished ahead of a quartet of schools from the state of Georgia who were no doubt more familiar with the course. Their last regular season chance to up their computer ranking to a point where they wouldn't have to win the conference tournament takes place in two weekends in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And then it is a full two and a half weeks before the conference championship with the Bulls host in Bel Air. Well, unless they absolutely tear it up in conference play, the baseball team is going to have to win the conference tournament again. The pitching continues to improve, but the bats just aren't coming through. The one thing 
that Billy Mole said to me in the pregame show last night before our game against FGCU was three and a half runs per game over the last 10, simply unacceptable. And the Bulls scored exactly three runs last night against an FGCU team that in its last three series went to Tallahassee, took two of three, played Troy for two, swept that. Troy was 11-0 and before that, and then just took down the preseason favorite in their conference, the A-Sun Liberty, two out of three. And they've been doing it mostly with offense, their pitching staff, ERA around five, but 40 home runs in 20 games. So the Bulls pitchers actually did a great job. Not only keeping the Eagles in the park, including their all-time leading home run hitter, Joe Kinker, they've got a scary veteran-laden lineup, though they kept them in the park. The part of the lineup that is the scariest did a really good job of taking walks when they were there to be had. The guy at the top of the order, Brian Ellis, who merely has a now 90-game on-base streak that would be 11 shy of the all-time national record, Walked to start things off. Lawson Gailey was very solid for the Bulls. Again, kept this team in the park, but they loaded up the bases twice against him. He managed to only permit one run both times, but got some help from Jackson Cawthorn in the fourth. However, Cawthorn, who last week got out of a jam, but then walked a couple and needed some help from Caleb Punsack, who came on and kept the Bulls on top by a run against Dartmouth. They win that game. This time, those two walks ended up coming in. Alejandro Rodriguez, one of the very scary hitters, lined a shot for a two-run single as part of a three-run fifth. Five-nothing, but remember last week the Bulls were down seven to one and came back. They could not get anything going against the freshman starter, Chase Kreibel. Struck out only one. It was the last batter he faced. I was there. Bulls were actually making good contact, patient in their at-bats, but when they did line a ball, it was right to somebody on the Eagles. Sometimes you just need a different face, a different arm, for that luck to change, and sure enough, that's how it went when the Bulls faced the Eagles' pen for the first time, top seven. Last year appeared 17 times for the Eagles. That ball's drilled against him, and that could be headed to the gap. That is on a sharp line, and Betancourt should be able to score. Mayo cruises into second. There comes a throw in, and that is going to be the first Bulls run of the day. Jackson Mayo ends a prolonged slump with an absolute shot of a double, and the Bulls are within 5-1. to one. Didn't check a swing, didn't matter. That curveball caught the plate, one and two. Don't think Snow's going to get a fastball. Could be wrong. They want to try and bust him up maybe inside with an effort on one and two, but a good breaking ball that Mr. Love has. And there it is again, and Snow just puts the bat out. That is going to be an excellent piece of hitting right there. And the Bulls get it to within five to two. Dumps it in to right field for an RBI single. This guy's got some heat. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first one was an off-speed pitch. It was an easy 87. O'Hara. Oh, that's an easy stroke for Brutcher. And it's going to bound into left field. This could be a close play. And that's an off throw. Snow will score. Bad throw. Advances Cantu to third. And the Bulls continue to chop away. It's 5-3. to three. Brutcher with his third hit of the night. His first three-hit game, and he was hitting ropes. The... Would-be fourth hit went to the wall and got caught during the non-scoring portion of the game. That's how it would end, though. But some encouraging pitching performances, especially late pen by Justin Jackson, the freshman from Lakeland. Austin Grouse also. I like what Chandler Dorsey did to prevent a rally by the Eagles in the bottom of the eighth. Bulls struck out nine. Eagles only struck out three Bulls batters. But FGCU was catching everything, including at the very end. Another guy who made good contact on this night, but only had one hit to show for it. 
And Snow lines it, and what a talk about Snow. A snow cone grab to end the game. Mumaha is in there for defense, and boy, the Bulls looked like they had something going there. Snow crushed it, great catch. That freshman, Eric Snow, has become a permanent fixture in the lineup. He was hitting second last night, and another freshman who got his first start a week ago Tuesday and hasn't left the lineup, got to keep Raphael Betancourt's bat in there somehow. He was the DH last night and had two more hits to get to 391, but the Bulls lose 5-3 to three in there, 8-14. and 14. 19th-ranked FGCU is now 17-4. and four. VCU comes to town for the last pre-conference series this weekend. And, again, nothing official on the men's basketball coaching search, but that's why we mentioned Mike Bray only in passing the other day, just in case he wasn't the head coach, apparently, and even though there was a good story written by a Notre Dame publication that I retweeted yesterday. You need to check it out. It made it sound like he was ready to come to Florida, but looks like it's not going to happen. The search continues. And just to make it official, though, it was not a surprising bit of news. Tyler Harris, officially, with a nice note on Twitter yesterday, thanking his former head coach, Brian Gregory, announced that essentially he is out of the college game and moving on to the next stage. We loved having Tyler Harris, that is for sure. That's going to wrap up Bulls Beat on a Wednesday. I'm Derek Sharp.